And we turn now to this morning's scripture reading. Today's scripture reading comes to us from the very first chapter of the book of Acts, beginning with verse 6. Listen now as we hear the story. So when the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Well, many, 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 many years ago when I was just starting out in ministry, I was sent to a little country church in the middle of a cornfield. And when the, the district superintendent told me that I was going to this little country church, the superintendent said, now you need to know that this is a church that's been through some hard times there's only about a dozen people in worship on a typical Sunday morning, and there are serious conversations about closing the doors of this church. The truth is, the superintendent said to me, the truth is that the, the days of this church are probably numbered, and we're, we're sending you there to have hard conversations about closing the church. So I knew what I was getting myself into, but I was young and I was energetic, and I was maybe a little bit naive, and so I went into that church saying, I am going to do everything within my power to turn this church around. I am going to do everything I can to make sure that the ministry of this church continues long into the future. And so going in, I figured, well, the first thing I need to do is I need to do my homework. I need to figure out what went wrong. I want to diagnose the illness that this church has been suffering from. And so to do that, I went into the, the closet where they kept all the old meeting records and all the records and books of the church, and I started going through all of those record books, trying to see if I could pinpoint a moment, a moment when something went wrong, when the church began to decline. And sure enough, I found something interesting as I was going through those books. I discovered that for a long time, this was a, a thriving church, that this church had grown year after year for decade after decade. And in particular, this church had many, many young families with children who are part of the congregation. The youth group, the youth group had 50 or 60 young people who were part of the youth ministry in this little country church in the middle of a cornfield. And then as I looked at the church records, I saw that there was a moment when suddenly everything changed. Within the space of just a few months, suddenly almost all of those young families transferred their membership away to another church. Almost all of the young people, all of the youth transferred their membership away to another church. And that began a long period of a slow decline in the life of that congregation, a decline that they never, never had quite recovered from. I said, this is the moment I need to know about. I need to know what happened in this moment that all of these people suddenly left this church. And so I started asking as tactfully as I could among all the old timers to see if anybody remembered, if anybody could tell me what the story was. And finally, I found somebody who was willing to share the story. They said, here's what happened. They said, for years and years, we had this amazing youth ministry because of a young woman named Dot. 
Dot was this charismatic person who just drew young people to her, and she had this incredible ability to connect them with God and connect them with the church. And everybody called her Polka Dot because she played the saxophone in a polka band, and the kids just thought that she was, that she was the best. She was the person who grew this ministry to the point where there were 50 or 60 young people coming to, to the youth gatherings that were happening at the church. And then this person said, but then there was a moment when somebody in the church found out that the band, the polka band, that played with was playing at wedding receptions where alcohol was being served. And this caused a scandal in the church. And there was an emergency meeting of the church council. And the church council called in Dot and they said, we are concerned that you can no longer be a role model for the young people of the church. You need to either give up, give up your ministry or give up your participation in this polka band. And Dot looked at the church council and she said, I choose neither. And then she transferred her membership to the next Methodist church down the road and all of the youth and all of the young families of the church went with her. The church never recovered from that moment. And I looked at that. When I heard this story, I looked at the record book and I said, here it is. Here's the moment when everything started to, started to go wrong at this church. It all began with a failure of grace. It began when the church was no longer a place of grace and instead the church was a place of, of criticism and judgment. The church cannot pass the faith from generation to generation if the church is not a place of grace. But once I figured out what the problem was, I said, all right, now I got to treat it. And so I started, this is, you know, I was, again, I was young and maybe a little bit naive. There was really only one thing I knew how to do, which was preach. And so I preached. I preached on grace Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month. That congregation got nothing from me except grace and grace and more grace. We talked about love and forgiveness and grace over and over again. And after a few months of doing that, finally, one of the elders of the church pulled me aside after worship on a Sunday and said, listen. She said, I know what you're trying to do, but you need to understand that it's not going to work here. And then she started explaining to me why, why all of those sermons of grace weren't going to get through. And she started telling me about all of the grudges and grievances that people in that congregation had been nursing for decades. She said, you need to understand that this woman who sits over here has not spoken to that woman who sits over there because of something that happened at a church potluck in 1981. And so they just sit and stare daggers at each other during worship all Sunday morning. You need to understand that this man in that corner here believes that that man in that corner there is a heretic and is probably going going to suffer the flames in eternity. You need to understand that this family here has been feuding with that family there since the 1940s. And as she went on explaining all of, all of the grudges and grievances that went back for decades in this church, I realized that my work was going to be harder than I thought because this church was not just suffering from a lack of grace. They were also suffering, experiencing a deficit of relationship and friendship. There was no friendship in this church and you cannot pass the faith from generation to generation, if there is not friendship, if the church is not a place of deep relationship and communion. I said, whew, this is not going to be easy, but you know, the district superintendent sent me here, and so God must have faith in me, and so I'm not going to give up. But eventually, after months of trying, we, we started having some serious conversations about, about closing the church, and those were painful conversations, as you can imagine. It was hard for people to imagine closing the doors and walking away from this building where they had been baptized, where they had been married, where they had had their parents and their grandparents' funerals. It was hard for people to talk about closing this church, and one of the things, there were so many painful words that were spoken during that season in the life of the church. One of the things that I heard people say over and over and over again was, if this church closes, I'm done. 
If this church closes, I will never darken the doorstep of another church again. I am done with worship. I am done with faith. I am done with prayer. I am done with God. If this church closes, I am done. And I realized that the, the problems in this church ran deeper, deeper than a lack of grace, deeper than a lack of friendship. The problem in this church was also that there was a lack of faith. People in that church had a deep connection to the building, but they did not have a deep connection to God. They could not imagine connecting to God anywhere other than that building on a Sunday morning. We cannot pass the faith to the next generation if we do not have a faith to pass. All of these things I learned during months of serving this church, I learned that there was a lack of grace, a lack of friendship, a lack of faith. But the moment I knew that the days of that church were numbered, the moment I knew that that church was almost certainly going to close, came at a retreat that I put together for the leaders of the church as a sort of a last-ditch effort to breathe life into that church before we had to make the really, really hard decisions. I gathered all the leaders of the church together on a Saturday. I got a great big box of donuts. I prepared devotions and Bible studies, and, and my task that day was to try to give the church some kind of a compelling mission, some kind of a, a mission, a vision that would energize the people of that church and get them moving in ministry out into the world again. And so I gathered the leaders of the church together in a room on a Saturday morning and I got out the donuts and then I asked them this question. I said, let's, let's dream some God-sized dreams. Let's look down the road into the future and let's say that we don't close the church. Let's say we keep going. What is it that you see happening in this church five years from now? If you could time travel five years into the future, look at this congregation. What is your wildest dream about what you would see when you look at this church five years in the future. And there was a long moment of silence. Everybody stared at the tops of their shoes. And then finally the chair of the church council said, well, she said, it sure would be nice if we had more people coming to our church potlucks. She said, we used to have so many people coming to our church potlucks, but you know, attendance has dwindled to the point where it's hard to really put a good meal together. And so if we could get more people coming to our church potlucks, I think that would be really exciting. And everybody around the table said, yes, that would be exciting if we could just get more people to come to our church potlucks. And as I listened to everybody get all excited about church potlucks, I realized that it was all over except for eating the donuts. I realized that the writing was on the wall. Because without a compelling mission, without a vision of the church that goes beyond what the people out there could be doing for us, without a vision of the church that involves what we could be doing for the people out there, the church cannot pass on the faith from generation to generation. We could have all of the grace, all of the friendship, all of the faith in the world, but if we do not have a compelling mission, and I love potlucks as much as the next guy, maybe more than the next guy, but if we do not have a compelling mission beyond getting more people to come to potlucks, the church will stumble and eventually we will we will close the doors. Jesus understood this. And we have in our scripture reading this morning the story of the very final thing that Jesus does during his time among us, his ministry here on earth. This is the culmination of all of the work that Jesus has been doing since Easter Sunday morning. When we read the stories in the Gospels, when we read about the things that Jesus does after God raises Jesus from the grave on Easter Sunday morning, it is almost as if Jesus is working frantically, trying to make up for lost time, trying to build what foundation he can for the church before this moment when he ascends ascends to his Father in heaven. And these are the things that we see Jesus doing after he has been raised from the dead. Jesus knows, Jesus knows that the disciples have got a deficit of faith, and so he appears to them and he says, look, look at the holes in my hands. Put your hand in the hole in my side. Jesus builds for the disciples a foundation of faith. 
And Jesus understands that there is some brokenness among the friendships that have been built up in these disciples. They've been through a hard few weeks. And so what does he do? He gathers them at the table and he breaks bread and he shares meals with them over and over again. Jesus builds a sense of communion and relationship and friendship among the disciples again. And Jesus knows that some of the disciples are afraid to look him in the eye because they abandoned him and they betrayed him when he needed them the most. And what does Jesus do? He goes to those disciples who are feeling that burden of guilt and shame and he embraces them and he forgives them. He builds for the church a foundation of grace. He builds friendship. He builds faith. For 40 days, Jesus does this work among the disciples. And then after 40 days, Jesus leads the disciples to a a hill, a place called the Mount of Olives outside the city of Jerusalem. He leads them up the hill, and there at the top of the mountain, Jesus says, now, he says, now it is time to pass the baton. Now it is time for you to take up my ministry. Jesus says, you are about to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You are about to receive the power that made my ministry possible. And when that happens, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses here in this city. Here in this county, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You will live in the way that I have taught you to live. You will tell people what you have seen me doing in you. You will shake empires and heal the nations, Jesus says. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then when he has said this, Jesus rises up into the air until he's hidden from the disciples by a cloud. I think so often we focus on the sense of awe in wonder the disciples must have felt at seeing Jesus rise up into the sky that we forget about the equal sense of awe and wonder they must have felt at the mission they had received from Jesus. These bumpkins from the backwoods of Galilee were going to go to the ends of the earth and they were going to shake empires and heal the nations. They must have felt such a sense of awe and wonder at the work that God had invited them to be part of. I felt that same awe and wonder just a couple weeks ago. Just a couple weeks ago, there was a gathering of leaders from the United Methodist Church. It was a regional gathering, and so people from nine states across the upper Midwest, from the Dakotas all the way to the other side of Ohio, got together online, and these bishops, these pastors, these lay people got together, these leaders, representatives of the church got together, and they talked about the present and the future of the United Methodist Church. And knowing what you know about what's happening right now in this denomination we call the United Methodist Church, you might imagine that all of their talk was about conflict and schism and division and what are we going to do and how are we going to hold the church together and how are we going to turn things around. That's what I expected from this gathering. But instead, as they met across the course of a few days, something remarkable happened. God's Holy Spirit began moving around them and kept drawing the conversation back, not to the challenges that we are facing as a denomination, but to the challenges that people outside the doors of the church are facing. And as these leaders of the church talked, they they developed something. They developed a sense of consensus and agreement. They created a covenant. They called it a covenant to build beloved community. And in this covenant, here's what these leaders of the church from all across the upper Midwest had to say. They said, the two primary tasks of the church right now are to work to end racism in the church and in our communities and to work to create a place of LGBTQ inclusion where all people can experience God's love. 
These are the two things that they lifted up as the two primary tasks of the church right now. And they said, we are committing ourselves to these things, not in addition to our faith and worship, but because of our faith and worship. We are committing ourselves to this work because when we are baptized and when we are confirmed, we promise to resist evil and injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And right now, evil and injustice and oppression look like racism and white supremacy and discrimination and violence against LGBTQ people in our midst. I was so excited. This is the most hopeful I've felt about the future of the United Methodist Church in a long time. It was so refreshing to see leaders of the church talking about a mission, a vision, bigger, bigger than holding the church together and and figuring out how to get more people to come and sit in the pews. I felt so hopeful about the future of the church and so in awe and in wonder of this work that God has invited us to do. I hope that you this morning feel that same sense of awe and wonder. The world outside these walls can't afford for the church to take another decade navel-gazing and beating each other up over theology and wondering how are we going to get it back to the way it was in 1950. The church needs us too much for us to take another decade off. I hope that you have a sense of of awe and wonder at the mission that God has given us, and I hope in particular that as young people become members of the church, as young people take confirmation vows and repeat their baptism promises, I hope that you know that we are not just inviting you to the church potluck. We are inviting you to be witnesses for Jesus all the way to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this invitation you have given us to be part of your work in this world, to be part of shaking the empires and healing the nations, to be part of of salvation in this creation that you still love. We pray that every day we would wake up with a sense of awe and wonder at the tasks you have given us to do. God, give us eyes to see beyond the walls of this church. Give us hands to reach out beyond the walls of this church. And God, walk beside us as we figure out how to answer this call that you have given. All these things we pray in Jesus. Amen.